greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And as always, I'm your host, Patrick, and I am joined again with, uh, by my special co-host, Leslie, to go over Star Trek Picard. We were planning on going over episodes seven and eight to get everything all up to caught up since we missed a week last week. But uh, my morning wasn't very uh conducive to that as you know uh from my little story this morning so we're yeah. just going to uh cover episode seven which i think in of itself deserves a, a special kind of solitary review since it, it is the big episode with Riker and and diana and uh i know i told you when when uh before the episode aired or when it aired that i wanted to definitely like take it all in and and enjoy every moment of it without having to just straight up write notes down and, and criticize anything about it. But uh, I, I overall, I can I'm going to have to grade this episode on, I think, two levels um, when we get to the end and we've talked through everything, because I, I think like there are things about this episode that I didn't like, as you and I discussed at work. Yeah. Um, but there are things about this episode that I really liked. And if you took the things that I didn't like out of the episode, I think the episode would have been basically perfect. So I think I'm going to break it into two grades. But uh, and then there, of course, I know you've got some nice little Star Trek tidbits on 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 some <laughs> names uh, for some characters that I vaguely knew. But you had them right on uh, and were able to even uh, <laughs> educate me a little bit. So we're going to just go ahead and dive right into it. And the name of this episode, and I know I'm going to say it wrong, uh, Nepenthe. Um, it sounds good to me. I, I I tried to, like, every time they said it on the episode, I tried to make sure, like, I repeated it a few times, but I, I don't think I did a good enough job. Um, but like most of the episodes, the episode opens up with a flashback, and it's back at the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, uh, it's three weeks ago, which I know we had kind of talked about timeline a little bit uh, yeah. in the last review. And we kind of thought that they might have been maybe a month or so out, whereas everything with Soji was like happening two weeks. So I guess there's a week difference in there between the events that were happening on the La Serena versus what was happening on the Borg Cube, which I guess kind of uh, lines up a little bit. Yeah, it, it lines up a little bit better, but I do think, wow, only three weeks. Yeah. I, I felt like maybe they should have been on the ship a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I, I know when that when that came up uh, on the little tag there, I was like, wow, that that seems a little short. I mean, 
granted, we've been watching the show for like a month now, but it, it just felt felt a little bit too short of time, especially when you go from a sci-fi show like The Expanse, where they take into account all of that distance and, and travel and communication distance, uh, you know, to be as close to scientific fact as possible. Uh, it just definitely seemed a little off. But as you and I both mentioned in uh, the episode, I think it was episode two, um, the conversation with uh, Agnes and O and how they cut away. And we felt like that was important information we were going to get on later. Um, yeah. We finally get to see the culmination of that that conversation. Um, and we see uh, O mind meld with Gerardi and uh, you and I both kind of talked about this uh, at work. It, it, it's kind of a generic doom and gloom vision. Yeah, um, there's really nothing specific that they show you that makes me think, oh, okay, you had synthetic life and it caused this. Right. Like, even if you think, like, Battlestar Galactica and you know, okay, here are the Cylons and they came and bombed all the planets. Like, there's nothing like that. It's just typical doom, gloom. Um, nuclear explosions looks like some people going crazy, like peeling their skin, but nothing that's like that looks cause and effect, if that makes any sense. Right. It's all definite, like just brief glimpses. And we I mean, they kind of cover that up a little bit in the sense like Girardi understands everything from the mind meld, of course, because, you know, it's how that works with Vulcans and humans and stuff. But we as the audience aren't really given enough information other than planet explosion, people going crazy, people killing themselves and, and one like AI synthetic face, um, that's just down to like the bare, bare bones essentially. And so we don't know what it means, but we know that it's enough for Agnes to just go, what do you need me to do? Which again, like when we talked about in, in the episode two review, it felt like too convenient. She showed up at, um, yeah. Chateau Picard right away, um, right when they're getting attacked by the Jatvash, and uh, that she was too very optimistic to want to go to um, to space and, and uh, track down Maddox. But uh, also, and I, <laughs> I wrote this down uh, to be a little bit funny, but they O gives her a Flintstone tracking vitamin. Because <laughs> um, that's just what, it, other than the fact that it glowed, it just reminded me of, of one of those little vitamins I'd have to take as a kid, and I hated it. Um, but obviously that's something that's to play important um, important part to the story later on in this episode. Um, are there anything else that you want to talk about that that opening scene? No, I was just happy that we got it. Yeah, I, I figured we would. And I think you and I both figured we would. Um, yeah. I, I think it was at the appropriate time, especially after, you know, the whole death of Maddox and kind of the um, rush to get off the board cube from the previous episode that it, it felt like this was the perfect time to kind of show us the events of that conversation. Um, so now we jump to present day on the La Serena and it's trapped by a Borg tractor beam. Um, now I picked this up on my second watch through as they're trying to kind of figure out how to get out of it. Um, Rafi pulls up some images and they're kind of the symbols matching Soji's necklace. Did you pick that up? I did. And because I have already watched the next episode, those are important for okay. the next episode. I, I felt like it definitely like I kind of picked it up on the first on the first watch, but I really wasn't paying that much attention to it. Um, but definitely the second because she gives it kind of a, a, a weird look when she pulls it up. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Girardi just like goes, why don't you just ask him to let us go? Um, which I thought was a little interesting. And I don't know if it was kind of in play with uh, the plan that like Narek has or the whole kind of covert operation was to have, like if she was to suggest that they reach out to them and then that way they could go on and then Nara could tell them because of that. Um, but then we go back on to actually the board cube and Hugh is being interrogated by Rizzo. And since he won't quite, uh, divulge the information she uh, starts killing the xbs uh she does one kind of just as a initial hit to hugh and uh and it says like well i can't kill you because of the treaty and your federation and everything going on with the board cube so i i can't do this but i can take care of these and finally since he still won't answer a question she just has them annihilate all of the xbs now uh, I know you had said something at work about that scene. What What were your thoughts on that? Um, I don't, at that scene, I was kind of um, debating with myself because I felt like Hugh's character would have been a little more defiant, like actively and not just standing there. Yeah. Kind of taking it. But then I was like, well, if you could, yeah, I got to think about the fact that when we first met Hugh, he was a teenager, like 19 at most. Right. And there's been like, what, 30 something years at least so I'm like, 30, okay, maybe he's like mellowed out a little bit or something as he's gotten older and not like I'm going to charge into battle or something. I just felt like the fact that he really just kind of stood there and didn't really, I mean, they didn't even give him like a defiant line, you know, like right. a snarky, he just kind of just stood there. Yeah. I, I would say I definitely picked that up on the, on the second watch through when uh, she's like, well, tell me where they went and and don't tell me I don't know. And he just I expected him to come up with some type, even if it was just I don't know. I did expect him to kind of give some type of defiant response to it where maybe even just like play on words. I don't recollect or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did think like it was a little much overkill because when when they decide to take out all the XBs that are, are there, uh, the Romulans with their disruptors are just like multiple shooting them, even though they've already got like a gaping hole in their chest from the first blast. It felt a little overkill, but I guess. I think trying... she was just doing that to hurt him because she knows how much he cares about those people. Right. Trying to send a message and Romulans have always been very cruel. So, I mean, it, it, it tracks, but it just, it did feel a little kind of over the top. Um, and also during this time, Narek is getting on the stealth craft to track the La Serena. Um, and they uh, are while they're they do finally get released from the tractor beam uh, because he's he's prepped. Narek is prepped and ready to go. Uh, they're about to leave. And of course, they're almost forgetting Elnor. And um, I did kind of I, I did like this a little exchange a little bit when they Hugh, or Elnor Elnor finally shows up with Hugh after uh Rizzo and the other Romulans leave uh, and they uh, chime into him and he goes, well, your friends are worried about you and they want to get him back on board. And he says, no, I've, I've got to stay here. And uh, Rios's uh, response is, well, everyone thinks you're stupid. And then um, <laughs> Agnes goes, well, and brave. And I did like Rios kind of going, yeah, and brave. You know, that that did seem justified that that type of expression because they know it's you know not going to be easy for him on there it's a hostile force uh he's got no backup no support but 
Elnor also understands the importance of the mission to get to Picard. So that, that definitely, uh, was a nice little moment. Um, so finally, and this is all my favorite stuff from the entire episode. Uh, we have Picard and Soji arriving on Nepenthe, if I say it right. Um, (laughs) and they are greeted by quote unquote, the wild girl Kestra. And, uh, now you have to remind me, because I know that this was addressed in Next Generation. Picard's, uh, what did he say, Duranium or Dirtanium Steelheart? Yes. What, what, when, when is that from, or how did he get that? I, I'm blanking on it, but I know it's there. Um, I, I don't remember the episode, but he, um, it's back in his Academy days. That's right. I, he has he the bar fight. It's yeah, he was with fight. a couple of his friends. He got in a bar fight, and a Nausicaan um, pierced him through the heart, and so he's had a replacement heart ever yes, since. Yes, because that's that's a Q episode. Q sends him back to his days to try to change those events if he if he wants and have a better life yeah. or something like that. I, I remember it now. As soon as you were talking about that, I was like, yes, that's where it is. I knew it was there, but I couldn't quite remember. Um, but she, of course, she's pointing her, her uh, bow and arrow at his heart, and he's going, yeah, you might want to pointed at my head because it's not going to do anything to my heart. Um, and the uh, Soji going, well, I thought you said we are, we're going to be safe here. And he you know, goes, well, are we safe, Kestra? And uh, if, this is when we're realizing that, of course, this is Riker and Deanna's uh, daughter. Da- yeah, and, so uh, if you... If you recognize the name right off, you knew immediately that's who it was. Right. No, because Kestra was the name of Deanna's older sister who drowned in a or drowned in an accident as a child. Right. We got that information. Uh, I went ahead and looked it up so I'd have the right episode. Season seven, episode seven, called Dark Page. And that's the one where um, where her mother tried to uh, hide the. She had hidden those memories, right? Yeah, she hadn't. She'd never told Deanna about it. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew. I remember that being because uh, I I finished rewatching Next Generation not that long ago. But of course, you know, with everything else consuming of media, things kind of fade in and out of memory. But I knew I'd recognized it, uh, and I just couldn't place where it was from. And uh, during the walk to um, the Troy Riker home, Kestra and Soji kind of bond a little bit. Um, she talks about, uh, Captain Crandall and her broken compass. And, uh, this is the first moment too, when, uh, it's kind of straight up said to Soji that she's an Android and she starts kind of having a bit of a moment and Picard manages to calm her down a little bit. Um, but this is kind of the focus for Soji in this episode is kind of coming to terms a little bit that she is not an actual human and instead is a synthetic uh, being. Um, So finally they get to the Troy Riker residence, which you and I both talked about. It's a beautiful house. That's Uh, a gorgeous house. I I want it. Like if I had enough money, I would go find wherever that is. If that's real house and buy it. Um, (laughs) It's so beautiful. It's nice out in the country and everything. And it, it, it just, it looks great. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, Kirk's cabin in generations. Yeah, uh, I thought that too. Okay. I, 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 I don't know if that's intended or not, but it just, it felt very similar or maybe it's even heck. It could be even the same place if they, uh, had access to it, but 
Who knows? Well, and the way they shot, um, the, they filmed, not like they, they didn't shoot Riker. <laughs> the way they filmed uh, Jonathan Frakes in the kitchen kind of reminded me of that scene when Picard comes in and Kirk is in the kitchen, like, making eggs or yes, something. Yes, yes, very much so. It's very reminiscent of that. Um, so Deanna is coming out to kind of clip some, uh, some plants, and she sees um, Picard and kind of gets introduced to everybody and... Uh, she knows that something is is not okay, uh, and Picard tries to reassure her. Um, but of course, it's you know she's an empath, so she knows everything's not all right. Um, and I liked that we were just getting to that uh, scene where Riker is in cooking or grating cheese, and he's listening to his jazz music, uh, which I like that little touch. And I like the kind of scene where. His daughter's yelling, uh, you know, Dad, uh, Picard's here or something like that. And he's yelling at her to stop yelling. And (laughs) it felt like a perfect, like, father-daughter moment. And um, and then, of course, you have the Picard and Riker reunion. And uh, I really, really appreciated that. And um, it was also, this is like when he's, like, in complete prepper mode, too. Because when he realizes that Picard's, like, in a little bit of danger he's like shields up perimeter scans and then picard mentions anti-cloaking scans so he has the anti-cloaking scans go on i'm like geez what all do you have prepared here uh he's the ultimate doomsday prepper (laughs) right like gosh coronavirus ain't gonna get him if uh if you've got all that type of stuff but uh also diana comes in to kind of talk about how she uh knows that like soji looks real and acts real but in that she's in distress but that she can't read her and she doesn't quite know why and picard of course hasn't quite revealed to them yet that she's a synthetic being um we have diana kind of recommending that uh picard take a nap and they're gonna stay for pizza and, and all that stuff and Riker just straight up and this was kind of a nice touchback to the conversation between Shaban and Picard in episode two, when he goes, why don't you get Riker or Jordy or Worf to help you out? And he goes, cause he knows he would do it in an instant. And Riker's just like, you can stay for as long as you need. We'll, we'll be prepared for whatever happens. And so it definitely kind of reinforces that reason why Picard didn't necessarily want to get anyone from the old crew involved. Cause he didn't want to put them in danger. Um, so uh, Thad's room obviously gets mentioned and you, I, I knew it was Riker related, but you had, of course, again, the, the knowledge <laughs> of what episode and, and which show that came from. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So Thaddeus, I heard that and I knew it was familiar. I really did have to go like, look this one up though, just to be sure. So it was from Voyager season two, episode 18 called death wish. And that's when another cue, not John Delancey's cue, um, he wants to be able to commit suicide. And so um, Janeway kind of has a little trial with John Delancey's cue and this other cue to, you know, see if he can be allowed to commit suicide. And right. Riker is one of the witnesses that they call. And the other cue brings up this picture, and it's one of Riker's ancestors. And it's a picture of Colonel Thaddeus Riker. And, yep, that, that would make sense <laughs> then where the name comes from. I, I yeah. and, and it's kind of nice, too, because it's like what, you know, tr- it's kind of a traditional thing with some families where they'll take the name of an ancestor and name their their child after them. Uh, my my niece is named 
uh, Anna Elise and Anna is coming from my grandmother and Elise is coming from my brother-in-law's grandmother. So it's uh, kind of nice uh, kind of touch to realism a little bit when you have that um, kind of authenticity to it where you have the boy being kind of named after Riker's side and the daughter being named after uh, the Troy side. Um, so also during this time, Kestra's questioning Soji all about her abilities, about being an android. Like, do you have mucus? Uh, do you know, do you this, this and this and this? And, uh, you know, Soji's never really kind of thought about it before. And uh, they also talk about data a little bit. And um, I also wrote down that um, Soji's kind of having an identity crisis during this part, because, like I said, she's kind of coming yeah, she to really terms. Is. Yeah, she's coming to terms with. You know, everything that she thought was real, uh, she thought she had an entire however old she is, 19, 20 years old, 20 years on alive. And it's now been reduced to she's only been around for three years and uh, she's, you know, everything's kind of been manufactured and fake and she's not ever done anything or felt anything real, which is actually a moment that comes up later on in the episode. Um, And so then we see Thad's room uh, and we learn that. Thad would have been 18 about a, uh, a week ago and uh, that there was a deeper tragedy there. And Picard is, of course, you know, talking, talking to her about it um, and, you know, understanding why it hurts her more uh, than it would Kestra or with Will because of being the empath and everything. And and the thing that her, her own mother went through with Kestra's death, you know, so the death yeah. of a child definitely impacting a Beta Z uh, a lot more than a normal person. Um, do you have anything else to say about this kind of opening Riker, uh, Troy scene? No, I just, I loved all of it. The same here. Um, I did even like the little picture with him and, and the baby, uh, kind of in Starfleet <laughs> uniform. I thought yeah. that was really cute. Um, so we, we, uh, jump back to the La Serena. Rios is, uh, realizing that they have a tail, which of course is Narek. Um, I need to make sure I have the right side of my pages here. There we go. Um, and they try to outmaneuver the tail and, uh, by basically doing a short warp jump and then hoping that he would overshoot them and then not realize in time that he would need to come back and, and find them. Um, and this was a really weird scene for me. And I think that this is more, because of the I guess the guilt is finally really building up in Agnes. But I, I didn't quite like that. She's just like, well, why do they really need to go after Picard? Like, why don't we just let him go off and do this thing? Like, take me back to Earth. I, I get that, like her kind of part in this mission that she was given by O has been completed. But it did seem really out of place. And like, if I'm looking for any type of suspicious character to keep an eye open for like doing that type of action would really kind of raise red flags for me. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I don't think her mission's completed. I think she was freaking out because she's already committed one murder and she knows that the rest of this is she's supposed to kill Soji as well. And I think she's just kind of having, like, she's imploding on herself, basically, like a dying star. She she really wasn't the type of person to give this mission to in the first place, you know? Yeah. She wasn't a, a Narissa, a trained killer or anything like that. She was just happy-go-lucky scientist, you know? And now all of a sudden she's got, a, she's got all of this, um, 
you know, doom and gloom, doomsday stuff that O put in her head, and she's committed a murder. And I think she's also sort of having an identity crisis, but she's collapsing in on herself, where Soji is like, is actually kind of addressing it. Yeah, you know, trying make, to work like it. stable. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. And um, <clears throat> I yeah, definitely, you can tell that the guilt is really like playing on her. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't quite like just how she immediately was like. Oh, let, who cares about Picard or anything like that? Because even Rafi's like, well, I remember when you showed up in in the room and you were all gung ho and ready to go into space. Like, so obviously Rafi's kind of picking up something a little bit wrong uh, with her, but yeah. thinks it's more maybe nerves and, and everything like that, because it's someone who's never been out in space and never kind of faced any type of combat um, uh, and not without knowing all the other stuff that's gone on uh, with her uh, prior. Um, so we go back to Nepenthe and, um, we have a lovely Picard Riker conversation. Um, now this, I liked it, but the second time I watched this, it bugged me a little bit, uh, as Kestra and Soji are coming out and Soji's looking at the tomatoes and she does the, the data head tilt. Like the tilt yeah, that felt really contrived. Well, the, the tilt was like very accurate, <laughs> but but the the fact that like she has not done anything so robotic like I get she's a synthetic life form, but she her programming or whatever would has been programmed to make her act and be fluid like human like a human. So it felt very, like you said, contrived and like, haha, did you see what we did there? Like, look at this little throwback. Uh, I mean, it's a minor complaint because I know that that's what they were trying to go for is like she is Data's daughter uh, to an extent. So she would have some mannerisms and some characteristics. But being as advanced as she is, you wouldn't think that that would be there. Um, <clears throat> so also during this time, based on that, Riker, because he can't get anything out of Picard about what's actually going on, is able to hit everything just based on that head till he's like, all right, it has to deal with this, this and this. And so, bam, how close am I? And like even Picard <laughs> is like, yeah, you're 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 pretty close. Uh, so I, I did like that, especially knowing the relationship that Riker and Picard have. Riker is very easily able to pick up on these things and know what Picard will get himself into and not into. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we also have Soji and Kestra go over to the garden to get more tomatoes for the pizza. Um, and Soji and Diana talk over the tomatoes. And this is, again, kind of that because there's a bit of this conversation here uh, near the end uh, of this scene that it all kind of culminates because of the start of this, where Soji's never eaten anything real. It's all been replicated um, never experienced, you know, actual organic food. Um, so even when she bites into it, she says, well, this feels real. And uh, they talk about Thad and they talk about Thad being born uh, and raised on starships, uh, but never really having a home, a home world. So he created all these kind of made up languages that he taught Kestra and uh, they had fun with it. And, um, that he created his own homeworld, uh, Ardani, which means home 
Um, but during this time also got sick with mandexic sclerosis, um, which could have been cured because of, uh, they could have done something with the positronic, uh, Oh God, I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, matrix. Yeah. The positronic matrix. Um, um, yeah, she even said matrix because there were no matrices around by the time that he was diagnosed. Um, so it theoretically could have been cured, but wasn't able to be cured and died because of the, the synth ban. Um, so one of the things I, I talked to you about this uh, a little bit, um, cause I read a few of the Titan Star Trek Titan books, which were to be the continuation of Riker and Deanna's v- adventures on the starship Titan, which is introduced uh, as um, Riker's commission at the beginning of Star Trek Insurrection at the wedding. Um, and I would have kind of appreciated if they would have mentioned that a little bit, a little bit in this conversation, because I remember in one of the books, whether those are considered canon now or not, um, there was one of them was focused on the trouble of Riker and Deanna having a, a child because of their two different species, a Beta Z and a human. And um, I remember it being very difficult, but they were able to finally have a have a child. And it would have like kind of lined up a little bit if that kind of explanation would have gone in there uh, to make it. Yeah, like maybe if she had said he was born and raised on Titan, on the Starship Titan or whatever, instead of just saying starships in general. Right. And, and also just mentioning it was maybe a little bit difficult to even conceive and, and have a child that because it would also make a lot more sense to why she uh, is very protective of Castra, like doesn't want, like, although they want to help Picard out to the extent that they can, she even told Picard, like she can't lose Castra. It's the only child they have left. And uh, that would make sense as long as like Castra is healthy and everything, which she appears to be probably takes on more after Riker uh, in DNA than Diana. Um, it just, would have made a little bit more sense. But um, so during this conversation, while talking about Thad, Soji lays it all out for her, talks about being manipulated by Narc, uh, learning that she hasn't been real and, uh, or that she, everything that was her, her life was not real, um, was all how, and how it's all impacting her. And Picard makes a joke about this all being an elaborate plot and that they're just, you know, trying to take advantage of her. Clearly, you know, him just joking about it. And she gets very angry and she kind of really bumps into him and bumps him into Riker. And even Riker gets a little upset. But Deanna uh, dresses Picard down because of this. Now, I could see, uh, you know, I, you and I talked about this, uh, people kind of being, certain people being upset with this, that a, a woman is dressing him down again. But... Th- in the context of the scene and in the context of Star Trek in general, if anyone female is to dress Picard down, it's going to be Deanna because we've seen it several times in Next Generation and it's very well earned in this scene because even though, and she even says, well, yes, to you, this being an elaborate plot and false is absurd, but she's known nothing but falsehoods and she's been what the Romulans did to her, which after even the second watch through, I kind of thought back to the episode where the Romulans abducted Deanna and tried to make her think she was a Romulan. Um, that that experience also within herself, uh, kind of brought something up. 
And she and even Picard takes it well, too. Like he realizes, yeah, he was kind of being a little too uh, stupid, for lack of a better phrase, about that situation. And then, Tactics. yes, it was very, very, yes, untactful for him to approach it that way. And then, of course, we get the red alert because they've burnt the tomato in the uh, brick oven. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you can't go without an episode without Riker saying red alert. Um, we jump back to, uh, the, the board cube and sorry for that nice little noise there. Um, nice little alert. Let's see. Uh, Hugh is, uh, talking to Elnor, um, or it's taking Elnor back to the queen chamber. He wants to destroy the board cube, uh, completely. Um, and so I know you've got thoughts on this, um, particular scene, so I'm going to let you take it over here. Okay. Yeah. He's talking to Elnor. He says they're going to take back the cube forever. And Narissa is right freaking there. Like she's not somewhere monitoring and overhears the conversation. She is like literally around the corner. And for me, this whole scene here was just a little too, I don't know if I want to say contrived, but it was just too easy. Yeah. Because, you know, the they have that little fight scene. Um, Elnor, you know, is still awesome, takes out a bunch of people, and then he's going to go, you know, toe-to-toe with Narissa. And then, of course, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't watched the, the, the episode, Narissa kills Hugh. Yes, which was and, heartbreaking for me. Yes, it's heartbreaking. And like I said, I when I watched it through a couple times, I had to kind of wrestle with myself if I'm just upset with that scene because Hugh died and I love that character, or if I really have an issue with a bit of the writing. And I've come down to the side of, I have a little bit of an issue with the writing because it just go with me for a second yeah. and think about it. Let's say Hugh and Elnor are like, okay, we're going to take back the cube. We got to start like, getting some of the XBs, you know, let's like, let's make it to the queen cell and they're, they're on their way. They're doing that. You know, they're, you know, sneaking and getting into things. And Narissa is monitoring from afar as she's overseeing the, the ships, the Romulan fleet that's going to go out and follow Narek. So then things start going wrong. Maybe the Borg start waking up, you know, and she realizes, Oh, he's still doing something. We got to go back and find him. And in there, going back to find him and where Elnor is, then there's like a fight scene and Hugh ends up dead. I think that would have had more impact for the story and would have made a lot more sense than Narissa freaking being right around the corner and just tossing a knife into his neck. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't disagree with you on that. Um, but I will say, like, and this is not a, a strong defense for the scene that we got. Uh, she does come around when she comes around the corner, she goes, well, did you not think we weren't monitoring you? So I take that as, and I agree, like it's sometimes you do need to be shown versus told uh, certain things. But like, if we look at it in that context, she had someone kind of tag onto him and she knew obviously with the death of the other Romulans in, it couldn't have been Hugh who killed those Romulans, that there was somebody else on the cube that, she uh, she was not aware of or, or knew who it was. And so therefore was maybe tailing him, but still having it, having him monitored from afar. I agree. It still doesn't really play out that well. Um, and there's another bit about that scene uh, in general that kind of bugs me. Um, and maybe it'll make sense once I get episode eight watched. But 
yeah, I, I still don't disagree with you. I think that they tried to just shove it in there and just be like, okay, well, we don't have enough time to film that scene and, and go through this and that because we're primarily focusing on Riker and, and uh, Troy and Picard that uh, we're just going to do this really quick and, and, and deal it with that way. Um, and I also feel like they shortened it and shoved it in there just so that they could. I think they're thinking we need a plausible reason to bring seven back to the cube. Right. And I don't I don't see how you couldn't have had both of them and him still die. You know, even if like she shows up and he still dies, you know, as they're taking retaking the cube. I don't know why you couldn't have had both of them, you know, if that makes sense. Right. And and that's where when we get to the kind of the end of the review and, and I talk about what I wish was not in this episode and what was in this episode, uh, that will probably make a make a little more sense, too, when I go on in that. But the other thing that really yeah. bugged me about this scene is like right after she throws the dagger at Hugh, she pulls her disruptor to kill Elnor and he throws the dagger back at her and she's immediately teleported like. Obviously, of course, I guess someone is, quote unquote, monitoring her, but it seems so weird that like if she knew she was in danger, like why pull the disruptor anyways? And like cause that ruined her from killing him. I mean, she probably still could have gotten a shot off and gotten teleported out by the time the dagger landed. If the teleporter was like a half second off, it just really bothered me that there was like no communication, just some random force teleported her out of there. Um, but we do bo- uh, have a nice little kind of moment between Elnor and Hugh and Hugh is telling him to go back to his office um, to hide. And uh, let's see, do I have anything else to say on that? Oh, I did like that um, before they do the whole fight scene, he says, uh, please choose to live in Romulan. So I love that. That's like, his just his little catchphrase. <laughs> And uh, it just says it to everyone as a nice little warning. Um, so <clears throat> after all that happens, we're back on the La Serena. Uh, Girardi and Rafi are eating uh, cake. Um, yeah, can I just insert a funny comment here? Sure, sure. The replicator. Yeah. My best friend and my worst enemy. Can you imagine just being able to say, I want a thing of chocolate chip cookies and just get them, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it would would help you because you'd be able to say, yes, I would like, you know, a really healthy piece of grilled chicken and vegetables or whatever. But then the next night you're like, yep, I want an entire chocolate cake. Yeah, I I would be having issues with the Oreos. So, uh, well, and like the cake piece itself, is like a, a third of a cake or a fourth of a cake. Like it is massive. It is a huge piece. And uh, and then of course I chocolate saw, milk. I saw that and I just like that was hilarious because I could just see so many people would have eating disorders. We yeah. would we would turn into the people from Wally where we would just be sitting <laughs> in the big giant floating couches and and be just massively overweight. Um, and then, of course, also during this time, uh, you know, Rios is telling him that the tail is back. He's not really happy about that. Uh, she throws up the cake. And um, yeah, I mean, that's about as much as there really was to that scene um, there. Uh, then we go to the dinner at the Troy Riker residence. Also, I did like um, I, I forgot to mention this when Troy is is kind of dressing down Picard a little bit. 
she goes, now treat our dinner table like the ready room of the Enterprise. And I kind of really like that because it felt like he did do that in this scene um, that, um, you know, they get information uh, out of um, Soji, get her to kind of trust him a little bit, uh, kind of figure out a game plan. And uh, they, um, in fact, even Castro is actually able to find the planet that they need to go to to find uh, the nest of the synthetics. So I, I really liked it there. I know I didn't give a whole lot of detail about that conversation, but it's it's still just a great moment. Like it's it was really hard to really just like write anything down, because when I'm watching just that trio on the screen, like all I just want to do is just focus on it because I love it so much. Um, yeah. So it's just it's a really good. It's finally a moment where. Soji's finally kind of getting back to trusting someone a little bit. Um, it really felt like an observation lounge scene to me yeah. where they're all sitting around that big table and they're discussing the problem and possible solutions. Well, that that's the ready room. You know, that's that that's what. Well, she... I thought it was like the captain's ready room and then the observation lounge or the conference room or whatever, you know, on the side. Well, no, I think she was ref- like, that's yeah, I guess. I guess that's maybe two different ready rooms because like there's the captain's ready room and then there's the, you know, the staff ref ready room. Cause like, I know where you're talking yeah. about on yeah. the ship. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, but yeah, it did feel like that conversation, which was what Deanna wanted it to really be. Um, to kind of have Picard be Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the enterprise rather than some old man who's now found himself wrapped up in this kind of vast conspiracy. Um, so we go back to the La Serena, um, Girardi and, uh, is being kind of taken into the med by, by Rios, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and Rios like this, this felt really weird to me. You and I talked about this at work. Um, I felt like he was trying to trap Agnes in a lie but then he was being also very like overly suspicious of Rafi too. And I think you had a good point about it, like trying to see who it might be being kind of concerned about both. Um, Cause he does. And I, I picked on it more up on the, on the second watch through, he does kind of give the qualifier, like heck something could have happened to her while we were at free cloud. And she doesn't even know it. She doesn't even know she has a tracker on her. So she's not intentionally doing this. And of course, this doesn't help Agnes and her whole little guilt panic uh, situation at all. Um, so yeah, cause she knows she has a tracker on her, right? Well, she even says it's not Rafi. Like she straight up tells him it's not Rafi. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Not going to really listen to you. Um, and yeah, so I, think, I, I don't know. I still think he was trying to like play both sides of the coin and see kind of what shook out. I, I, I felt that more the second watch through. I think the first watch through it, it, just felt really off to me, but I kind of noticed how he kind of walked a thin line a little bit, uh, especially when he gets back to his like little captain's chair and he's like, Oh, I think I have a plan on getting rid of the tail. And, and, uh, she's like, well, I hope it doesn't, um, uh, mean me being blown out of an airlock. And he's like, uh, well, maybe. Um, so it did really feel kind of like, yeah, he was kind of walking both sides to see how, each one of them would react because it could only be one or two of them. Like he knows it's not himself. Um, so uh, with her guilt and wanting to kind of, I guess, make amends, 
Because I don't think, um, maybe you know because of the next episode, but I don't really think her intent was necessarily to kill herself in this scene, but rather to figure out a way to disable her the tracker inside of her. Uh, so she replicates a toxin, and, and I do say to kill herself, slash disable the tra- tracker. Uh, and I know this is probably what bugs you the most about this scene. The EMH <laughs> activates. Yeah, well, it, it does get rectified in the next episode, okay. so I, I won't say anything. Okay, so, okay, that, that at least they, because I, I knew that was going to bug you when, uh, before this last episode aired. It, um, it really does, because that whole thing back when she kills Bruce Maddox, I even um, messaged you later, and I was like, what if somebody's trying to kill themselves, and the EMH <laughs> just gets deactivated, you know? Right, right. So I knew immediately when I watched that scene, like, the first time, I was like, oh, God, she's going to have a problem with this scene. But it's good to know <laughs> that that kind of gets addressed in the next episode. Um, now, Narek, of course, then loses the signal because of this, and he's all frustrated. We go back to the Borg cube uh, and you and I kind of had the similar thing about this, like not understanding where this tag came from. But I did watch enough of episode eight at the beginning to understand finally where it came, where it came from. But there was a yeah. Fenris Rangers tag uh, under the desk in uh, I guess that's Hugh's office. And we were both like wondering, like, wait, is that did like Picard leave that because he got one from seven of nine uh, before she left? Like, how how did it get there? What happened? But then in the beginning of the next episode, we realized like that's that Hugh had one as well. Um, So it makes a a little more sense then. Um, And then we go back to uh, Nepenthe and we have just another beautiful Picard Riker goodbye conversation. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping because this line was put in there. Riker says he's still active reserve duty. So I'm hoping we might see him in a starship either at the end of the season. I mean, we've only got after episode eight, we've only got two episodes left, uh, or we'll see him later on in like season two, captain, uh, a ship that would really like that. Um, that'd be cool. And then we have a nice, uh, I did, I didn't write it down in my notes, but I, I did like this, uh, the scene, um, cause Kestra is kind of drawing Soji while she's sleeping and, uh, Soji wakes up and she's talking about, you know, um, not having, I guess not having anyone, but she goes, well, you, you could have Picard and he could have you and you could have each other. Like I, I, think that that was a good point to make to Soji because she has like had nobody. Her father's not real. Well, I mean, he's real, but he's not really real, like really her father. Um, and uh, she's, you know, only had her sister. Of course, she learned her sister is dead. Everything else about her life has, has been faked. But someone actually has shown some type of care and desire to help her out. And I think hearing that from Kestra really um, was good for Soji, uh, in kind of coming to final resolution with her identity a little bit. Um, yeah. So also Kestra gives Soji her compass. They all have the nice kind of little goodbye send off before they go, uh, back up to the La Serena. And then we get nice little, uh, TNG theme there right at the end. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, now, yeah. 
another thing that doesn't quite really track well with me is like they is just how quickly once they lose the tail they get to Nepenthe because like even Rio says like oh this is a few days warp away and all of a sudden it seems like they're right there you know um but that's a minor thing to really kind of kind of uh, tackle on so when it comes to like grading this episode or breaking this episode up I really think that the La Serena and the Borg Cube stuff could have been done without. I think that this episode should have fully focused on uh, Riker, Picard and Troy. Um, I think it could have it could have sustained that even. I I think we could have taken a nice little break, uh, had this great reunion moment. And then in the next episode, be kind of brought up to speed because if you really you take out the the La Serena and the Borg Cube moments, they're not they don't make up a huge portion of the episode. They're very minor and they they feel like they actually break up the flow of the Riker um, stuff. So I I really want to say like if we didn't have any of that uh, any of those scenes, this episode is. A, a five out of five. But with those scenes kind of in there, uh, I have to take it down to probably about a four out of five only because like the stuff we talked about with kind of the rushed fight scene and, and Hugh's death, uh, just kind of trying to keep the story of the other characters going when everyone's really wanting to primarily focus on, on the Troy Riker Picard uh, stuff. So I think that's where I really land. Like if you took out all of that uh, unnecessary scenes and just focused on the Penthe and Kestra and Riker, Troy, Soji, Picard, uh, everything coming to, with Soji coming to terms with uh, her being a synthetic life form, it all would have just worked a lot better and and would have gotten a five out of five for me. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I probably agree mostly. I think we could have done one of those um, half and half episodes, you know, where you get like one person's version of events to they get to where they meet the other person and then the other half of the episode is seeing the other person's version of events till they get up to meeting that other person. But I think if they did something like that, it should have been focused on you know, what's going on on Nepenthe and what's going on on the La Serena and completely cut out the Borg Cube scenes. Yeah, yeah, I could agree with because that. Because especially, especially having watched episode eight now, I think there's some scenes there that they could have done without and just put in all the Borg Cube stuff there. That, so that, I think yeah. if, if we did a half and half episode, you know, like we go through everything on Nepenthe all the way up to where I would say probably Rios would say we're in orbit or whatever and and Picard and Soji transport up and then we go back, you know, rewind the time and then we see everything that happens on the Lost Serena and then them finally getting there and, you know, doing one of those episodes, I think that would still be five out of five for me. Yeah, I could I could probably agree with you because I think what really hurt the most was the Borg scenes. Like I I, I- I agree. Like I as although I had some like minor like little issues with the La Serena stuff, uh, it it they didn't bother me. Like they didn't bug me a whole lot. The Borg stuff just felt like it was taking away from the story. Like it didn't feel like it was having really any impact. Whereas like yeah, the La Serena is trying to get to Nepenthe to get to Picard, 
um, and continue the mission. But Elnor kind of being on the board cube alone, feel like that could have just been put into the next episode. Like we even had the one episode that didn't even deal with anything on the board cube. And then we got a very board cube heavy episode, the next episode. And that felt right. right. And I feel like they should have done something similar there where you focused on two storylines versus three stories. And uh, I know most uh, like television has like an A plot and a B plot. Uh, I mean, Next Generation certainly did. Most of Star Trek had that. This definitely had an A plot, a B plot and a C plot. And C just could have been done completely without. Yeah, they definitely could have just reworked some things and put it into the next episode. And even if they're thinking about like length of time, this is a streaming service. Right. So you don't necessarily have to fit it into 45 perfect minutes. Well, and it's what's even interesting is these past three, including episode eight, uh, have been over 50 minutes long. So like they obviously have not had a, like most of the episodes before that have all been roughly around 44 to 45 minutes long, which is the average length of a normal television show on broadcast. And like you said, it's streaming. They don't really have to worry. I mean, I've seen plenty of Netflix shows that they'll have an hour and 10 minute episode and then they'll have a 39 minute episode. Um, and this one being so kind of directed, like this was what I think this episode was what, Every Star Trek fan, even the ones that are kind of upset with Discovery or even upset with Picard, even they were going to be excited for because of seeing this reunion. And I really kind of felt like that's what they really should have pumped up. And like they I mean, they did. The majority of the show of this episode does take place on the Penthe, but it does feel a little distracted when you're throwing in two other segments in there. Um, when, yeah, like you said, if you balanced it between two, there wouldn't have been an issue. And then you could have easily, I mean, like there's probably what, maybe five minutes total of board cube scene time. And then I would say, put it all together. Yeah. And I would say like 10 minutes of, of La Serena and like 40 minutes is all on Nepenthe. And so you could have taken that five minute Borg stuff and just put it on to the, the next episode and, you know, left like they could have even done um and i know that they started the next episode with another flashback but they could have had it been you know hugh hugh's death uh um elnor getting to the Fenris tag and then getting discovered and then seven of nine showing up you know like that's this is what they could have done to easily streamline a lot of that information like i think it would have been fine considering that the La serena was at the board cube at the beginning that have like Narek get on the ship, maybe show a little bit of that stuff at the beginning uh, with Hugh and the XBs. But as soon as the La Serena is gone and Narek is gone, that's all you need to do from the board cube. That, that exactly. would have been it. So yeah, I, uh, I feel like, uh, cause I think Shaban, Shaban was one of the writers on this one, Michael Shaban, who is very, I, I, from what I understand, versed in Star Trek lore and everything, I can probably tell you he was the one who was very strong on the Riker uh, Troy scenes. And I think the other two writers on this episode were the ones who did the other stuff. So I think that that's where it really kind of is like, if this had just been purely Riker and Troy, it would have been 100%. Um, 
but I can't keep gloating on or going on about how much I love Riker and Troy. So, I mean, well, they, I did hear another interesting theory to go that? back to your Q theory. Oh, ooh. So I saw, I wasn't, you know, I try to stay away from spoilers. I right. really don't like to read other people's reviews and stuff because I don't want to know. And I don't want their opinions to taint mine before I had the chance to express them. Right. So I was just kind of scrolling through and I, it was the headline. And they said, is Captain Crandall Q? You know, I had a, I had a thought about that. Because um, it did seem really weird that he would have this kind of relationship with this girl. Uh, I mean, not a weird relationship, just it would just seem kind of odd. Uh, but then to have all of this like unparalleled knowledge about all these star systems and yeah. to be immediately like that, to come up with the the sector and the planet number since it doesn't have a name. Uh, well, except that I think they called it Ardani since that was the whole kind of point of home world and everything. Um, yeah, I just, that would make sense. I, I want to see Q. That's all I got to say. I, I want to see and Q. And I think that would be a nice little way to kind of sneak him in if at some point, like, it wraps back around and she's like, Captain Crandall, and he walks up and Picard's like, Q. Yes, <laughs> it would be perfect. Well, and if, <laughs> and if you also, you think, um, you know, the whole thing with Q and, and kind of the point of, um, Star Trek The Next Generation was, is humanity ready to kind of go out that far in space? Are they evolved enough? And although we kind of got the answer in the finale of Next Generation, Q could still be testing Picard. I mean, that would be a total Q thing to do. Like, oh, yeah. You know, never would have maybe necessarily kind of ever stopped watching Picard. So I would love that at least somehow get him worked in there. Um, I would be very, very happy. But uh, so what was what was your score on this? Um, I pretty much agree with you and okay. do a five out of five. And then if we if, if we pulled out the Borg stuff, but with the Borg stuff in probably like four. OK, uh, that that yeah. works. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, I th- We probably will have a, a two episode uh, drop this week of the podcast because I know uh, I plan on getting together with my other co-host Pat to do uh, probably a contagion themed episode since we are kind <laughs> of living in this current time right now. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about our uh, top 10 kind of contagion type movies uh, or something at that extent. So there might be two episodes that drop on Monday. Uh, so this will be kind of a TV themed one. And that one will be leading towards m- m- more towards movies. I can't guarantee how long that episode will be, but you will have double content since we missed a week last week, but we appreciate it. And uh, as you guys know that there is a current giveaway going on, I know I haven't done a, a little update on that recently, but we have crossed our 2000 followers, but we're still trying to get more reviews on iTunes. Um, so we'd like to at least try to get up to 10. We're at seven right now. So that's only three more reviews, uh, three more ratings or reviews on iTunes. Uh, so if we cross that number, we will do our giveaway. Uh, we're going to be giving away a 4k digital copy of Joker, um, with Joaquin Phoenix. And, uh, I don't think we have anything else new to add. Just follow us on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, although we're a little light on posts there. Uh, I need to get better at doing that. Uh, you can write into the podcast at 
criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. We've also, uh, we haven't done it yet, but we will be doing a one-year anniversary episode here soon, and we got some news that we want to kind of talk about, some plans that we have in the works for later on in the year. Uh, well, we hope by the end of the year we can get it all kind of up and running, but we will definitely have it for 2021, I'm certain. Uh, so, you know, follow us, subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date and we will see you guys next time.